and gore, and sometimes a little more. My bloody podcast. <laughs> Good evening. Boys and ghouls, oh my god, did I just do that? I was trying to be the Crypt Keeper from Tales from the Crypt, and it didn't work out so much, but this is our 12th episode coming live to everyone. We are My Bloody Podcast, like our new intro theme song says by the amazing, the incredible Jonathan Atterbury on the West Coast. We love our new, uh, our new... Our new theme song, it's just so great. But yeah, we are My Bloody Podcast. We're on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Type in the Multimedia Men into iTunes and you'll find all of our shows. I'm Brian Kluger, and oh my god, this is our 12th episode. Unfortunately, tomorrow is Friday the 13th, and this should have been our 13th episode. But you know what? My co-host and I like to go on vacation sometimes, and we had to take a week off. And of course, my co-host, with the most... The the incredible, the magnificent Preston Barta, the horror maestro himself, is here. Twelfth episode. What's up, Preston? What's up, what's up? I'm here. He's here. He's here. So we are very excited. Yeah. We are very excited today's episode because tomorrow's Friday the 13th, and you would think that we would be doing Friday the 13th, but we're not. No, we're not. We are doing a summer movie because it is the middle the middle of summer, and we're going to do three main events tonight, three movies, Sleepaway Camp, Sleepaway Camp 2, and Sleepaway Camp 3 from the 80s. We're going to be talking about all of those, and if you haven't seen those movies, oh my God, are you missing out. Fantastic films. Uh, We're going to be doing my bloody recommendations. We're going to be talking about a new movie coming out this weekend, a horror film. Um, But before we get to everything... Right before this podcast started, I found out something that I didn't really know. Preston mm. is an amazing, he, he does amazing impressions of celebrities. I don't, I don't know how I didn't know this. Preston, you've been holding back. Well, everybody can do, a, well, a lot of celebrities who do impressions of other celebrities can do Christopher Walken. But it's just been one that I've been trying to master for a long time. And then I figured out a little later when I was with certain vowels and uh, words that I was like, well, Christopher Walken's not that so much different from Woody Allen's voice. <laughs> oh, my God. Woody Allen and, uh, and Chris. You're going to want me to do one. Yeah, no, yeah, I want you. So, first off, in Woody Allen's voice, could you please, like, describe, like, a Friday the 13th movie in Woody Allen's voice? Oh, gosh. Okay. All right. Woody Allen's a little more difficult, but I'll give it a shot. Uh, my, my, my favorite... Yeah, it's not so good so far. Okay. <clears throat> You're doing well, man. You're doing well. Do you, do you want to do you want to start with Christopher Walken first? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll start with Christopher Walken. Okay. So my my favorite Friday the Thirteenth movie is uh, the one where he has the knife up his ass. <laughs> it's uh, I <laughs> I think it's uh, Friday the Thirteenth. Part eight <laughs> in Manhattan. <laughs> and my good friend Woody knows all about Manhattan. Right, Woody? I, I, yeah, I, 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 I do a lot of my movies in, in the New York setting, and I would love to do a Jason movie in Manhattan. It'd, it'd be great. And I do it in black and white and it would, it would be wonderful, and, and then get get get, get Diane Keaton, and the the whole the whole shebang. It, it, it'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic, Preston! 
Oh my God! Can we just do the whole podcast like that? <laughs> oh, I can give it a shot. It'll probably be annoying to people. Oh no, that was great. Comment some guest commentary every now and then. Oh, that was so good. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to give a call to Christopher Walken at another episode to see what he thinks about horror films or his bloody recommendation, really. But that was so good. Yeah. That was great. I loved it. Um, oh, thank you, Preston. Thank you so much. I think everyone really loved that. And and you you've just been working on those impressions for like a few years and just just randomly just start practicing. Yeah, with um, was it Snapchat where you could put your face like a celebrity's face on your face. And so a couple of years ago, whenever they introduced that, I did Christopher Walken and Woody Allen, and I put Woody Allen's over my over my face, and I uh, did an impression of him out in the woods when I was walking my dog. And uh, <laughs> yeah, but I've been doing I've, I've I've been doing Christopher Walken for a long time, uh, ever since uh, I watched like the bonus features of Superbad. There's like one uh, guy, this Asian actor who was like in the background and he was supposed to have this bigger spot in the movie. And he had a whole deleted scene where um, when. uh... Oh, no, I think we lost Preston. I don't know. I think the connection is bad with us right now. All right, Preston, are you back? Because I think we, we I lost you for a second there for a second. But you were talking about Superbad and an Asian guy in the background. Yeah, so there's a deleted scene where this uh, Asian actor puts on a Christopher Walken impression and says something like, uh, To Seth, uh, the... Oh, no. We lost him again. I don't know what's happening. We are having technical difficulties. Oh, there we go. Are you there? Are you there? I'm losing you tonight, my friend. Is everything all right over there? I don't know what's happening. Yeah, I don't know what's happening. Yeah, I mean. Hmm. We'll, we'll figure it out. Hopefully it won't happen too much more. But say that again. Super bad Asian guy. Yeah, and uh, some he does an impression of Christopher Walken uh, when Jonah Hill arrives to the party. And he says, like... Uh, uh, to Seth, uh, the bringer of the booze, the provider of the alcohol. And ever since then, I've been doing the impression. So that's been like 11 years now. Sweet. I like it. I like it. That's what gave it. I like it. Well, you did a fine job at Woody Allen and Christopher Walken. I love it. Um, but yeah, we're going to be talking about Sleepaway Camp. Uh, but before that, Preston saw a horror film. Tonight, he's going to be reviewing it mm-hmm. for his respective outlets, FreshFiction.tv and Denton Record Chronicle. And he braved what most critics didn't want to see, a movie called Unfriended, which I think is a social media horror movie. Uh, Preston, you got to give us the dish on this. Is it a fantastic horror film? Is it scary? Is it bloody? Or is it just downright terrible? Okay. Oh no! Where did he go? I don't know where he went. There's a, a connection was lost again. Full disclosure. Yeah, I, I can hear you now. I can hear you now. You there? Okay. Well, yeah. Okay. All right. Let's give it another shot. All right. Um. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, Unfriended comes out, the sequel, Unfriended Dark Web, comes out next week, next Friday. And I have not seen the first one. So I went into this one uh, hoping that, because usually with these kind of movies, they're completely different, the second chapter. Like, they don't usually have the same cast members because probably a lot of say, uh, cast members died in the first one. Um. And it it was half good. I liked the first half. First half of this is pretty pretty good. Did you ever see the movie Open Windows with Elijah Wood? It played at Fantastic Fest. 
open windows. No, I don't think I did see that. Okay. So uh, it was from uh, Nacho. He made it, uh, oh, the director of uh, Nacho Colossal. Yes. Yeah. So he made it, and Elijah Wood's in it. And the whole movie takes place on, like, a singular computer screen. And that's what this does. And it's about uh, this guy who's trying to communicate with his uh, deaf girlfriend. And he takes up trying to learn sign language and and they they were together for a short period of time. And then they're having to go, they're, they're split up and trying to communicate through, uh, like having a long distance relationship. And well, I guess it's not so long distance. They live on opposite sides of the town. Um, and then some, uh, crazy stuff starts happening. Like it uh, tends to go with these kind of movies. Uh, somebody, um, has the ability to hack into your mobile device, your computer screens, your cameras, and it, it's the big movie to tech dark and just and scary, like you don't more. But oddly enough, like after I saw the movie Snowden or Citizen Four, um, I put a band-aid over my camera on my laptop just because I don't like the idea of people watching me. But as we've learned, uh, if you go around on Facebook and you say particular brands, they pop up on Facebook. So people are listening, and it is scary, and this movie kind of taps a little bit into that. But uh, it pushes it a little too far. Uh, By the end of it, the end of the movie, it becomes too silly, and like even a lot of the audience members uh, that I saw the movie with tonight were kind of laughing at the ridiculousness of it all. I think if it would have dialed it back a little bit and maybe narrowed its focus, it could have been a pretty, pretty scary horror film. Um, but uh, it has me wanting to go watch the first one because I did hear pretty good things about it. Did you ever see the first Unfriended? Yes, I did. And I it wasn't my favorite, so I was meh. <clears throat> I don't need to see that one or the second one, I guess. Yeah. So, I don't know. I'll give it a shot, and then I'll report back at some point down the line. Um, I just think, uh, I guess a lot of people are just not finding it scary uh, to, for filmmakers to try to take on this kind of singular screen where... It, it just taps into like the mundaneness of our own lives where we spend our entire time in front of the computer and we're able to multitask and do things uh, like listen to music and then also, you know, reply to that email and all that. And so I think there's uh, ways to kind of make that horrific. And I think the movie did a pretty good job on laying down the tracks to go in that direction. It just, yeah, again, just did not, uh, the de- It didn't, uh, what person was saying was, I think, yeah, there he is. So it had a good, it got a good start and a good base, but it didn't execute it very well. Didn't, yeah, it didn't come home. Wasn't good. Okay. Well, there it is. Dude, are you going to recommend people to see it in the theater? Not in the theater. Would, uh, maybe check it out at home. All right. All right, all right, all right. We'll try that. We'll do that. Hey, folks, we had a little technical difficulty on my bloody podcast, but we're back and better than ever. Preston, are you with me, sir? Yes, I'm here. Oh, good. He's here. He's here. We're queer. We love to be in the Army. Um... I don't know where that came from. Uh, we'll get into news. We, 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 we talked a little about Preston's amazing impressions of Woody Allen and Christopher Walken. And then we talked about the new movie, Unfriended, which comes out in a week or so. We say skip the theater, maybe rent it. Um, but we're going to get on some news first, a little bit of news and some crazy news, which I don't know how to feel about because it's very near and dear to Preston and I's hearts and minds and and wieners. 
We're talking about. <laughs> it's a it's a real shot in the dick. It's a, yes, yes, yes. It is literally. If you've seen this movie, um, RoboCop. Uh, there is a sequel coming out called RoboCop Returns. I don't think that's very uh, original, like Batman Returns. But I guess MGM's doing this, and it's a sequel to the original film, meaning there's probably not going to be any uh, anything that's mentioned in the second film or the third film or even the recent terrible remake. But Neil Blomkamp is going to be directing it. Uh, Neil Blomkamp, who made District 9, but then made a horrible film called Chappie, uh, that was great. You like Chappie? Uh, for all the wrong reasons. For all the wrong reasons. There he is. Um, so, District 9 is damn good. And at some point in time, Neil Blomkamp was set to make an alien film set in the whole, you know, alien Ripley universe, chestburster type thing. But now he has left that whole thing, and he's going to do RoboCop Returns, which is super weird. And I don't know if you can make a RoboCop sequel to the original film without Preston's best friend in the world, Peter Weller. Do you have anything to say no, about you this? Can't. Yeah, do you have anything to say about this thing? I, I don't know. Um, well, for one... Um, yeah, like you, I love, love District 9. It's a great film. And then Elysium was just okay. And then Chappie was garbage. But it's already RoboCop enough. I was talking to James Cole Clay about this earlier today when we found out about the news. But uh, there's a lot of things that are happening in Chappie that feel pretty borrowed from RoboCop. Uh, even the similar-looking uh, machinery that uh, Hugh Jackman's character has at the very end of the film feels straight out of RoboCop. And it almost seems like once the studio, 20th Century Fox, told him that, uh, yeah, your idea for Alien, while it would probably be pretty cool, it's not going to happen. Uh, he was looking for something else that was dear to his heart, but he felt that the sequels didn't quite ever continue. And this may be, he saw this as an opportunity, I imagine. But, and this is going to be a common trend, I guess, now, that uh, with the new Halloween movie kind of erasing everything of what happened after the original film. And... Um, I don't know. I guess we'll see. Just we'll we'll see once we watch Halloween if it's it's worthy of continuing. I think it can be done because uh, I I kind of like RoboCop too. At least uh, a pretty good chunk of it. Uh, the beginning's very good, but then it gets kind of silly after that. But um, I don't know. I just haven't seen anything from Neil Blomkamp. Uh, outside of District 9 that has been worthy of celebrating. And I don't know how to feel about this. Uh, I have a lot of uh, mixed emotions. Yeah, I do too, because it's going to be very difficult to all these years, like 30 years later in like, if you don't get Peter Well, I mean, I don't understand how this is happening. And with the last remake reboot of Ro- RoboCop, Peter Weller was hardcore against it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I would unless they gave him a really big check, because anytime he's had to talk about RoboCop, I imagine he had to get a lot of money. I mean, he even told me that when. He came into Dallas for Rolling Roadshow's uh, special 30th anniversary screening of RoboCop, where they did it outside of uh, the OCP headquarters in uh, Dallas City Hall. And uh, they probably paid him a lot of money to go out there because anytime, even when this 
Robocop 2 and 3 came out on Scream Factory, and I asked to interview him about that. He was just like, nope, I'm done with it. And, uh, yeah, that's the only way I would see that it would happen if they gave him a lot of money to do it. Uh, maybe even just voice the character. I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what they'll do, but I mean, they kind of have my, they have my ears perked up, but at the same time, I'm just like, no. So we'll see. Yeah. Uh, we'll see how this all turns out. I mean, Neil Blom camp's alien didn't work out. So maybe this won't work out. Uh, because I don't know if we really want this to happen. At least I don't as of right now. Ugh. Um, any other news, man? Any other things that are you're chomping at the bit at? Uh, I guess we can uh, briefly discuss the MBD uh, Rewind or Entertainment Group for putting out uh, two new collections uh, new two new labels for their collector's editions. Uh, they do the great MVD Rewind collection, which I absolutely love. Uh, I own all eight titles that are out right now. And uh, outside of like Scream Factory, which I'm a huge advocate for, and Arrow Video, and all the other great collector's editions, Warner Archive, I love the MVD Rewind collection and so they're pushing that further so they're going to be putting out the MVD marquee collection and MVD classics and right now they don't they, they have some pretty uh, stellar titles or at least like in a kind of yeah like it enough kind of way like they have Dwayne Johnson's uh, Walking Tall remake is going to be featured in the MVD marquee collection, uh, Crazy Six with uh, Rob Lowe, Burt Reynolds, Ice-T, and my favorite, Mario Van Peebles. Love that guy. And uh, then they got stuff like Autumn in New York with Richard Gere and Winona Ryder, and then they got Barbershop 1 and 2. Um, so, so they're doing uh, Ice Cube definitely outside Ice... of their wheelhouse. Yeah, I like how they're doing Ice Cube and Ice-T. Yeah, that's a lot of... <laughs> In this yeah. it's great. Great. And what about the classics? Every which way. Uh, the classics, this might be, fit more into uh, the kind of stuff that we talk about. So they got two titles in the works at the moment. And it, we don't know if they're going to be <clears throat> on DVD or uh, Blu-ray at the moment, just because it all just depends on what kind of transfer they get. If it's a standard definition or HD, but right now it's uh, Diamonds of Kilimanjaro and then uh, Golden Temple Amazons. So I haven't seen either of these, but uh, I'm uh, always willing to give uh, this company a chance. Yeah, the, the Diamonds of Kilimanjaro has a great, great uh, cover art. It's like half naked yeah. chick with like an alligator and jewels Diamonds and, and, yeah. and an arrow and yep yeah, it looks fun mvd classics so, um, yeah I, they've labeled it as their more obscure titles which i'm excited about you know i like this i like this aspect yeah yeah, yeah. if anything that i've kind of grown to like out of, uh, you know, being a fan of Scream Factory is just taking chances on a lot of films. And so uh, you'll get that with uh, these kind of movies. They may not always uh, stick the landing, but uh, I'm glad I saw them and I'm glad I own them. So uh, they're fun uh, discussion pieces at the very least. There you go. Yeah, I totally agree with Preston. Um, you win some, you lose some. But... I think you always win with Scream Factory mostly because even though some movie's bad, they're actually really good. <laughs> I don't know. I just feel that way, you know? Yeah. There's a reason why they made them. Yes. Uh, because they just haven't been seen in a long time. You know, we've talked about it for the past 11 episodes, but they're great, and uh, we love to support them. We do. We do. All right. Since we have three main movies today, we got to just jump into yes. our bloody recommendations right now so we can get to the main event because I'm so excited about these movies. Um, 
Preston, your bloody recommendation to all of us. I can't wait to hear it. All right. I'll uh, keep it brief. Um, so this is a Scream Factory film. came out in 1985. And uh, don't be confused by the title. Uh, it's called Alien Predators. Not Alien versus Predators, but Alien Predators. And if you try to search for it, on IMDb, you might be thrown off because on IMDb it's listed as Alien Predator. But when you watch the movie, it, the title that pops up on the screen is called The Falling. So whatever the hell this movie's called, I'm just going to call it Alien Predators because that's what's listed on, or that's what's shown on the cover of the Scream Factory film. Um, so uh, this movie, uh, I just bought on a whim. I just took a couple of movies back that I didn't give a shit about and uh, got this one um, because, like I was talking about earlier, I like to take chances on films, and this one just seemed uh, right up my alley, or at least as of late. Um, so it is about alien predators. Um, it's about uh, three friends, uh, teenagers who are American teenagers who are going on this European holiday uh, takes place in like a Spanish town. And, uh, at the very beginning of the film, uh, we learned that a, like a NASA sky lab where they do like experiments on stuff that's not necessarily safe for earth or what have you, uh, comes crashing down to earth, lands in this uh, Spanish town where these three teenagers are and these, uh, parasitic aliens start coming out it's like it starts as an alien virus and the cool thing about the movie is you don't see what the actual alien form looks like until about 50 minutes in and even then at that 50 minute mark it's real flashy but the moment that you actually really get to see it is at the very end of the movie so what's kind of cool about this is it does that whole jaws thing even though you know you get to see more of the shark in there in this one uh comparatively you see less of but uh, I was very surprised by this, especially with a title like this. If you go off of what the cover is, Alien Predators, um, you kind of expect it to be dumb. And it, and it is dumb, um, but in a, in a very kind of surprising way. There's a lot of things to it that are uh, just very unexpected in terms of, like, character uh, development. Like, you actually care about uh, three, these three friends and um, the certain acting choices that they make are, are, are either really funny or uh, fit into the terror of the movie. And they do a pretty good job of selling the terror. And it's, it's filmed pretty well, too. Uh, there's uh, more than just what's uh, – there's more than just uh, the dilemma and the situation that's going on with the aliens that – these three friends have uh, issues with other people in the town. Um, so it, there's just like a lot of things going on at once, but it all kind of uh, comes together in a very uh, surprising way. So um, yeah, alien predators. Uh, if you feel like uh, giving that a shot, I don't know how many, this seems like one of those titles that uh, screen factory put out uh, that probably don't have as many copies of, uh, like maybe like time Walker. I'm not sure what the facts are, but maybe like a thousand copies or something like that. So it's a, it's a movie that's kind of hard to find and you don't really see a lot of stuff out there about it. Um, online. There's like no video reviews or anything like that, that I can find. Um, it's just so, um, uh, yeah, if you want to just, uh, give a movie that you've probably never heard of uh, a shot, uh, this one is uh, surprisingly good. So it's interesting. Do you think, like, this movie's been called so many things. Whose decision was it to name it Alien Predators? And probably in hopes that people would get it, thinking yeah, it would probably. be Alien vs. Predator, right? Yeah, I guess they wanted something to kind of... They probably The director might have had, like, an idea for the film and called it The Falling... Um, you know, there's other movies that are called The Falling since then, but it was probably didn't capture uh, the tone of the movie well enough. And then after time, it probably just had trouble finding an audience. And so I imagine some producer or 
a home di- home video distributor decided, hey, you should probably retitle this. So because even on the cover of the movie, you see this little a- alien eyes, and it looks kind of reptilian. And uh, there is the the parasite alien thing itself looks nothing like a reptile of any, anything. It kind of reminds me more of the thing. Uh, like it takes in, in the very beginning of the movie uh, when it lands on Earth for the first time, it kills these cows that are just like eaten in the pasture and it like guts them. And then uh, there's like loose dogs running around and uh, one of the dogs is like eating close to the belly where this alien is hiding inside like Leo Revenant style and uh, comes out and snatches this dog up. And so it, it doesn't like directly steal from the thing. I think it talks more about like how you just don't know what form these things are going to take. But in the very end, it kind of looks like the, like a, a cross between the thing and, uh, uh, alien, like the first alien when it shoot, bursts out of his chest, um, kind of like just bones, a lot of exoskeleton stuff. And so it, it's, uh, there's some cool designs there and uh, there's, a, but yeah, like I was saying, it's pretty stupid. There's like a car chase scene toward the end of the movie where they play like a really great eighties track. Um, some, one of the kids is trying to like cause a distraction to kind of get away from this other guy that's chasing him. And um, keep in mind, like this is in Europe. And so just imagine being in a, this town where there's buildings like, all around and you're weaving in and around them. And then the two other people are like able to see this guy and whatever move that he's doing. But then when you cut to the guy that's actually in the car uh, and he's like going around all these buildings, there's no way those two people saw them. And so you kind of have to kind of take it for what it is. And we'll get more into that kind of style of filmmaking when we talk about sleepaway camp. (laughs) Yes. Yes, indeed. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait. Oh, my goodness. So, uh, yeah, Alien Predators came out in 1985. It's on Scream Factory. Uh, through, or came out through Scream Factory. Give it a shot. Cool. All right. You ready for my bloody recommendation of the week? Yes. Bring it. Bring it. This movie came out in 2015. Only a few years ago. And it was by the studio Alchemy. I don't know if you've heard of that. But the movie is called Howl. H-O-W-L. Have you seen it? Uh, No, I have not. Howlable? Howl. H-O-W-L. Okay, gotcha. Howl. You know the movie Snakes on a Plane, right? Yeah. Well, this horror movie called Howl should have been called Werewolves on a Train. The only downside here is that there's no Samuel Jackson to yell at people or get things done. Damn it. But this movie is one of those cases where a successful visual effects artist got a big chance at directing a feature film of their own. And in this case, that visual effects director is Paul Hyatt. And he did a bunch of horror films prior to this, visual effects-wise, such as Neil Marshall's movies, Dog Soldiers, The Descent, and Doomsday. And even a lot of those main characters in those three movies show up in this film, Howl. Uh, But it's super fun. Like, this movie, Howl, doesn't change the horror genre, doesn't change the werewolf genre. You've probably seen all this shit before, but it's highly entertaining, It's super fun, and Hyatt knows how to film this movie with his creatures that he's created. Um, It's super fun. The film follows a guy named Joe, who is a train guard and ticket taker in London. Um, It's kind of just a schmo. He he doesn't get the ladies. He doesn't get promotions at work. Um, And then on top of all that, he's just asked to work double shifts all the time because people just kind of walk all over him. Um, So when he does this, the train breaks down and werewolves attack everybody. And it 
every one by one, one by bloody one, people die because of these werewolves who are trying to get in on this train. It's super fun. Um, the people on the train are like the old geriatric couple, uh, like a muscle head, a teenage girl who thinks she knows everything. Uh, it's super great. There are buckets and buckets of blood and guts that spill out everywhere. Um, you know, the screenplay, you know, you're not gonna, it's not gonna win any awards, but it, it gets the job done. And from the time when the werewolves show up, it's just nonstop the entire way after that. It's crazy. Uh, I would say Howl is a winner. It is super fun. Uh, and recommended. It, again, it is on Alchemy. Uh, you can buy it online. Uh, and the the video and audio are super great. And then there's a ton of uh, visual effects extras on the Blu-ray. And sound and stuff like that. So, yeah. This is... This is a fun and entertaining movie if you like werewolf movies. And, like, let's say you like snakes on a plane. You're going to like this because it's werewolves on a train. Mm -hmm. Preston, I think you will like this movie. And as well as our good friend and lover, James Cole Clay. We'll all have to watch it together sometime. Yes, we will, sir. Yes, we will. Um, I'm looking forward to that for sure. Um, but yes, Alien Predators and Howl, fantastic films. But since we are in the middle of summer, it is the middle of July. Tomorrow is Friday the 13th. Oh, my God. And uh, I think we've already done a Friday the 13th movie. I think that was our first episode, right? Uh, I think it was maybe our second or third. We started with Killer Clowns from That's Outer right. Space. That's right. That's right. But I know we've done Friday the 13th, so we're not going to do that today. But since... We're in the summertime, and this is a summer camp movie in perhaps one of the craziest movies ever made, trilogy of movies ever made. It's insane. Uh, I'm talking about the Sleepaway Camp movies. Um, I remember seeing Sleepaway Camp 1 and 2 when I was super young when they came out. Um, I shouldn't have been seeing them. I mean, the first movie came out in 1983, and I believe I saw it, you know... In the in the late 80s, I think. I mean, I was like eight years old then, and I blew my mind. But, uh, Preston, do you mind if I give like a rundown of this movie? Yeah, go for it. Okay. So if you haven't seen Sleepaway Camp, it, okay. So during the mid to late 70s and then through the 80s, horror films really paved the way for the subgenre called slasher films. Um, you know, they gave us Jason Voorhees, Friday the 13th, you know, all these movies. Uh, but one that probably slipped through the cracks that most people don't remember is in 1983, and it's a film that we're talking about right now, Sleepaway Camp. And it's a movie that falls in the so bad, it's amazing category on literally every level. Um, and I, I really think that M. Night Shyamalan got his ideas for twist, shocking endings from this movie. <laughs> the director of this movie is named Robert Hiltzik, Hiltzik, and he only directed this one film. Uh, and then, for some reason, he went on to become a lawyer in New York. Uh, however, after the release of this movie, a few people made a couple of sequels over the years. And they're, they're laughable. We'll get to those. Um, but in 2008, Hitslick put up his law books and, uh, directed a sequel to this movie that went to a direct to video and he wants to film another one. Um, but one thing is for sure that this, this lawyer director guy knew how to offend and shock his audiences on a very super low budget. Um, I think one of the great and hilarious aspects to this slasher film, Sleepaway Camp, is its level of gigantic homoeroticism, which is off the charts. Even for 1983, strong, hairy men disguised as camp counselors wearing tight, super short shorts. That the shortest shorts. Yes. Like it's almost man bikini. Yes. 
it defines bulges. (laughs) Bulges is the perfect word. I mean, these shorts define every intricate detail of their manhood. They have the the men have cut off shirts that expose their bellies. If that weren't enough, when the male counselors try and coax the female counselors to go skinny dipping one night, the females refuse. But the men do not let them stopping from all getting naked and jumping in the water together and giggling. And then whenever there's a fight between a few guys at camp, the rest of the guys just feel the need to join in by jumping on one another in a dog pile. It's super funny. However, to get to the story of the film, it tells the story of a young teenage girl named Angela and her cousin Ricky, who have been sent to summer camp by their really creepy Aunt Martha. And Angela's a shy girl who really doesn't talk to anybody. She doesn't take... Uh, she didn't, she didn't partake in the summer activities. However, her cousin Ricky just does everything. He's pretty, fairly popular at camp. Um, so as they're at camp, just people start to die. You don't know who it is. It's like a slasher film. You don't, but you don't know who it is. Like it's, it's a mystery. Um, so as we go on, we try to try to get feeling of who it might be. And then again, we are shocked at the ending, which we'll definitely talk about because this movie has been out for, you know, almost 40 years. It's, it's time you should see this movie. But this movie has such a low budget that one of my favorite parts of the film is there's a police officer in the movie. And in his first scene in the film... This police or police officer has a glorious mustache. It's a real mustache. His only other scene in the movie, which comes later on, he, I guess he went to another movie and he had to shave his mustache, but they didn't have enough time, so they put electrical tape to where his mustache is. <laughs> and it on Blu-ray, it's so apparent. <laughs> it's really funny to look at. <laughs> And then I could talk about how the cook at this summer camp for kids is a huge pedophile. (laughs) Even his first, uh, yeah. My wife watched it with me a couple of months ago. um, And just watching the side of her cringe at every word he says and how everybody around him. Uh, just seems to be okay with it. Yes, and, uh, yeah, that's very true. <laughs> because the, the the line is like he's talking about the kids who are first arriving at the camp, and he compares to them uh, as chickens, like fresh chickens. No, he, oh, said, look, he says fresh young fresh chickens. chickens. And then he calls them baldies because yes. they haven't hit puberty yet, <laughs> and that's disgusting. Oh, this and then he goes even further. I, I don't know. That Baldi's line is pretty. That's as low as you can get. Uh, like, that's uh, a shower. <laughs> um, and, and, and yeah, like, he, you can, he just wants, he wants these young kids. And like, uh, like other cooks and other employees are just like, eh, don't even really have much to say about it. They don't care. Yeah, it's that that scene is absolutely disgusting. It, yeah, it's great. It's so good. It, uh, he is so disgusting. And then even the owner of the camp, uh, he like dresses like how like your grandfather in the seventies would dress, like with like socks that pulled all the way up to your knees while wearing shorts. And he just has a giant cigar in his mouth. And then the head cook, who is played by James Earl Jones's father. You know, he almost comes off almost like a slave in that movie. Don't you? Did you feel that at all? Like, he's like, yes, sir. Did you ever feel that? Yeah. I just don't think, uh, what's his name? Uh, the director, Robert Hillsett, probably didn't know how to write that. Yeah, I didn't think so either. But that's in there. It's insane. But, yeah, the, so – these people meet their deaths and they get crazier and crazier with each death. Like somebody gets burned, somebody drowns, but then one of the main antagonists in the movie, a hot curling iron gets shoved up her pussy. 
and you're like in shock. You're in shock. It's like, oh my god, is that really happening? Ooh, oh, this movie. Even Friday the 13th didn't have shit like this. <laughs> yeah, this movie had some balls. No, it really does. Really? And in the middle of this film, there's like a 15-minute baseball scene with the campers Random. playing baseball. <laughs> I really thought, because um, I, I watched this movie when I was like eight as well, and um, and then I re- you know watched it a couple of months ago again, and I barely remembered like kind of what happened in the end, but the, the image is uh, so haunting that you it's it's hard not to to forget. But yeah, th- that baseball sequence. The whole time I was trying to figure out, I was like, there's got to be, like, some kind of, like, shot of, like, somebody, like, lurking in the woods and just kind of looking out. And none of that happens. It, it was just, like, a filler yeah. time. Like, 15 minutes. But it, but it has the best line in the movie. Two campers who don't like each other uh, insult each other. And one of the insults is, eat shit and die. To which... The reply insult is eat shit and live. And I just find that incredibly satisfying and genius. <laughs> yeah. I find it kind of funny that uh, in 2007, Zodiac, uh, Minkus from Boy Meets World, who's in the opening of that movie, says uh, to the people who are like throwing firecrackers at this lover's lane type of thing. And uh, he says, uh, eat shit and die. And then the girl that he's with is like commenting on that, like eat shit and die. Like that's what you got to say. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I also like the part where the guy says, "I got to take a wicked dump." So that I like that line too. Yeah, it, there's the the dialogue in here and the wardrobe in here. It's it's unbelievable. Um, but as ever, all these campers start to die, it gets crazier and crazier until the final moment of the film with the big twist shock reveal ending, uh, Preston, I'll let you have this buddy. Oh gosh. Uh, so, uh, you get to see Angela naked penis and all. <laughs> Angela She's is not a Angela. dude. <laughs> yep. Uh, so in the very beginning of the movie, uh, there's a boating accident and, uh, it's a young girl and a young boy and their, uh, and their father. And then there's people skiing or, uh, water skiing by, and then some young, the count, or I guess one of the teenage boys who's driving the boat, uh, allows this younger girl to drive the boat. And then she gets too close to where uh, this, you know, the young boy and the young girl and the, her father are uh, swimming nearby, and the boat decapitates the father and kills one of them, and we are led to believe that it is the girl, or, or no, sorry, the boy, and that the girl lives. But it's the other way around, and the movie uh, pulls that twist on us by uh, the, the the aunt, Aunt Martha. Uh, always wanted a girl and so kind of manipulated, forced her, forced Peter into being a girl. And uh, that's what we find out at the very end. And so she's completely naked and had uh, decapitated her love interest. Yes. <laughs> Holding the head with a knife in the other hand, making a face that is just mouth wide. And eyes wide open, and uh, it pierces into your memory forever. Yes, because there's like a certain growl that she makes. It's like, in this like 80s synth crescendo score type of thing. Like almost like a really shitty inception, like doom. And it just keeps on going, and that's how it like freeze frames, and that's how it ends. Uh, but yeah, so that moment kind of captures the tone of the film really well because it gives off this feeling that's kind of scary because it doesn't look real. It looks kind of cheap. 
Like even the skin tones are a bit different, especially if you watch it on Screen Factory's Blu-ray edition. Um, but it, that kind of look makes it all the more funny and scary. Um, and so that, that's kind of like what the, the whole film is. Like there's uh, funny moments, there's scary moments. Like all these uh, kids are assholes to each other. And um, it's it, it's funny. It's funny. It's it's scary, and it's uh, it's good if you can swallow all of what happens in this movie. No, yeah, yeah. swallow it whole. Yes, it, it is absolutely. There's so much, and like, there's even like a backstory of angela's father having an affair with another man that they show in a flashback like this movie is like had a lot of balls as preston said and there is balls in the movie and dick but the blu-ray collector's edition from scream factory oh my god it is fantastic it looks amazing it sounds amazing and it comes packed with great shit, such as like new commentaries by uh, the filmmakers and the actors and actresses with new interviews with them. Uh, and they go into detail on like all the classic scenes, you know, such as this young girl had to put on a prosthetic and how her mom was on set all the time and like love the film and all this stuff. It, it's super great. Super good. Mm. Um, if you haven't seen this movie, Please, please, just please. We just it all yeah. for you. Yeah, well, you're going to love it. You have to see it to believe it. Um, it's it's so good. Um, but yes, yeah, Sleepaway Camp. That's part one. It's arguably the best one. But let's talk about part two that came out in 1988. Um, some five years later. Uh, I mean, the first Sleepaway Camp is definitely just your basic, straightforward slasher film. But they made a sequel called Unhappy Campers, Sleepaway Camp 2, Unhappy Campers. And, you know, the movie doesn't take itself seriously. But what they did here was, in part two, is that they really parodied all the other horror films that came before it, such as Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Friday the 13th, and Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, Even the poster and cover art to the original Sleepaway Camp 2 features like Freddy Krueger's glove and Jason Voorhees' hockey mask. Um, They're really going for a lot of fun. And Angela, it's not the same chick who played Angela. It's actually Pamela Springsteen. Yes, hardcore relation to Bruce Springsteen. In fact, it's his sister who is is Angela in the camp counselor. Uh, Preston, did you see this second one? Preston, you there? Oh, no, did we lose Preston? What? Oh, there you go. Did you see this second one? Yeah, I've seen the second one. And and my guess is they recast Angela because the original actress probably didn't feel comfortable kind of embracing the new tone of the film. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right because they they went silly with it, right? Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's... uh, I guess uh, I guess we can kind of describe it a little bit. So, because unlike the Friday Thirteenth films, which a lot of them are the same, this franchise kind of treats it like the cat really is out of the bag, and they take on a different tone. Uh, it's kind of like Jason Lives at Chapter Two, but but Jason Lives is pretty damn perfect, and this this one is uh, just simply fun and enjoyable. Uh, but except this time, they bring back Angela back as a counselor. She has been rehabilitated and has accepted herself as a transgender person. However, a in a big surprise, it doesn't take too long for her to kind of uh, uh, find her old ways and uh, return to killing. And she begins killing campers. She finds, I guess, simply just naughty. Uh, there's like death by battery acid, a power drill, a tree. knife. Yeah, tree. Yeah, the tree, <laughs> and just simply getting hit with a stick, and uh, it's kind of like she's like this moral savior 
just killing all the people who uh, try, you know, because when you go to camp, you, you want it to be a good experience. And then when you watch the first one, like I said, they were all being a-holes to each other. And then it's almost like if you showed the first movie to a kid that wants to go to camp, they won't ever want to go to camp, even if you ignore the whole killing aspect. Just like a, a lot of bullying and things like that going on. And so you can understand why Angela wants to just kill all these a-holes um, this time around. True. And, what, so, yeah. one, one of the campers is named Molly, and she is played by Renee Estevez, and that is a hardcore relation to Emilio and Charlie. Many <laughs> connections. Yes. The sisters of more famous people are in this movie, which says all you need to know. <laughs> uh, it's so good. I just hope that, like, come holiday time, the Springsteens all sit down and watch this movie. <laughs> but, yeah, if, if you like Nightmare on Elm Street, Text Chainsaw Massacre on Friday the 13th, you're going to love Sleepaway Camp, too, because they really parody a lot of that stuff in there, uh, which is super fun. And this is also from Scream Factory with tons of really cool extras as well, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. yeah. All right. And then on to number three, Sleep Away Camp 3, Teenage Wasteland. Uh, yeah, it's th- – this was made in 1989, and Angela's just still can't stop killing people. Uh, it's – it's basically the same as part two, but it's sillier and with more gruesome over the top deaths. Uh, mm-hmm. in, in my opinion, what do you think? Uh, yes. Uh, so at this point, Angela's, she enjoys killing and, uh, she has more charisma and she's kind of laughing as she does it and smiling and there's a lot of great death scenes in the third one. Uh, I think my favorite one uh, is the flagpole, where she ties a girl to a flagpole and pulls her up to the top and just lets go. Um, and then was it? I think it's the second one that has a really good death scene. Uh, it's almost kind of like the reversal of dream warriors uh and the best death scene in that movie in my opinion is uh you know the head going through the tv and then in that movie uh sleep away camp 2 they have a head inside the tv yes the welcome to prime time bitch type of thing yeah and they got a firecracker death in the third one where there's like firecracker inside a guy's mouth and then there's somebody that's like right next to that person and then after the firecracker blows up blows off the jaw um there's you see isn't isn't there there a lawnmower death in part three too Oh yeah, yeah. There's there's a lady that get, that gets uh, buried, except for her head, and then the <laughs> yeah, the law. Yep. It's just it's crazy. What what was kind of different about this movie is that it's like a different camp, and it seems like this camp has like all different kids from different backgrounds, races, and uh, financial situations. <laughs> um. And she comes back uh, this time as a as a uh, a camper again. She she puts on a wig and uh, takes on a new identity. Yeah, it's great. And we have to mention that since in the first or the second movie, uh, you have Springsteen's sister and Emilio Estevez and Charlie Sheen's sister. In the third movie, you have Tracy Griffith in the film, who's the sister of Melanie Griffith. (laughs) I feel like this is just a great kind of great pattern here. (laughs) Like the Avengers of sisters and siblings. Yes. I like it. Um, There's something to be said about Angela in these sleepaway camp movies. I mean, she's just, it's so she's almost like Chucky. You kind of root for her in a way. Yeah, they kind of make her, they make her more sympathetic in this one because they show 
like flashback sequences and there's like even a scene where she's playing guitar and other people kind of making fun of her. And so it's trying pretty hard to make you feel for her. And, but, but then again, you know, there's all these like crazy ass deaths in it. Yeah. It's, uh, it, 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 they're fantastic. Like I love these movies. Preston, do you own these movies on screen? Yeah. Yeah, own all three with slip covers. Yes, with slip covers. Uh, me too. And it's they're so good. And like, if you've forgotten about these movies, because some of you might have seen these movies way back when, like when we both did in the eighties. But you haven't seen them since then, and you probably forgot so much about them. You really, really have to go seek these out and see them again because they are definitely worth your time. And it's you know they don't make movies like this anymore. Um, when they first came out on DVD, they had like a really cool set uh, of the DVD movies, which were kind of like in a first aid kit type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then luckily Screen Factory put out these Blu-ray collector's editions with all the new extras and, you know, all the actors and filmmakers interviewed present day. You know, it's really cool that they did this. And these movies are, will stand the test of time because they really – Preston, again, you said it perfectly. They're ballsy. They have a lot of balls where most movies won't go again. Uh, it's it's so good. It, they're, they're so good. I, I try to watch these at least once a year, and they're fantastic. Yeah. So, so yes – Sleepaway Camp 1, 2, and 3. Please find these from Scream Factory. They're worth every bit of your money. Um, Preston, anything else to say about Sleepaway Camps? Um, I want to say that the third one has a really great ending uh, sequence. Kind of like, I think you and I have talked about fascinations with movies that do... Uh, traps inside houses and obstacle courses and it has a really great obstacle course for like three of the uh, remaining uh, uh, campers and uh, she makes like this agreement like if you survive it uh, you can live and so two of them make it off and then it has like a nice little ending that kind of plugs into uh, how a lot of these 80s horror movies end where you know the, the killer appears to be dead, but it's not the case. Yep. And the way that they handle that is uh, pretty funny. No, I, I, uh, I, I agree. Yeah, it's, it's damn good. And, you know, before we end the Sleepaway Camp episode of My Bloody Podcast, after part three, um, there was a sequel called Sleepaway Camp 4, The Survivor, um, and it was only partially filmed in the 1990s, but it was never completed. Um, in 2002, the unfinished footage was released and made un- available um, in that DVD set that I talked about earlier. Uh, but you can't get it right now. And then a new film uh, was completed in 2003 called Return to Sleepaway Camp. Uh, but it never really got off the ground. And that was directed by the original director, Robert Hissick. Um, but now, as of 2013, Robert owns the rights to Sleepaway Camp franchise, and he says it's to be re- rebooted, but that has been five years ago, and nothing has been done. So, I, you know, I really want to uh, get another Sleepaway Camp movie with the original people. Do you think that could work right now? Uh, yeah, uh, depending on what they do with the camp at this point, because it's kind of like when so many people have died, you begin to wonder, like with Friday the 13th, they at least like found ways to uh, reinvent the camp. And the only thing that this one does is they change the name of it every movie. But at the same time, you're just like, a lot of people died. I don't think... Uh, I don't, they can give it a new name. I'm not sending my kid to that. Um, so, but then again, these movies do not live in any sort of reality. 
that we can call our own. It's uh, so like I think if they find like a nice in between tone of the first and the second and third one, like cause the second and third one kind of go hand in hand. They have this more comedic tone. Um, kind of like uh, Scream, the Scream movies before the Scream movies were big, uh, like a uh, very satirical, and especially the second one. Yeah. And if they find some like kind of nice in between, because like the second and third one, they're not they're not scary at all. Um, they're just kind of fun to watch because you're like rooting for her to just kill people. In it, as wrong as that is to say, but it, it's just fun to watch, especially how creative these deaths get from death to death. Um, so yeah, yeah, if they if they bring back uh, cat, certain cast members and they they're either sending their kids to it or grandkids or whatever it needs to be at this point, um, or maybe they decided to take own the camp themselves and run it. Um, yeah, I think there's there's ways to kind of make it work. Uh, they just gotta put pen to paper at this point and uh, film it. I agree. I agree. I think that would be awesome. Oh, sleepaway camp. Well, that is the twelfth episode of my bloody podcast on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Check us out at the Multimedia Men. On iTunes and Stitcher Radio, Preston Barta is the best person in the world. He knows his horror. Where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on the Ditton Record Chronicle, and that's at Ditton, D-E-N-T-O-N-R-C.com, where I post weekly theatrical reviews i did skyscraper this week and then i'm going to be posting some blu-ray reviews over the weekend um with uh, more dwayne the rock johnson rampage and bull durham and things like that so, so and maybe some horror films um and then you can also find me on freshfiction.tv where i'm editing other people's stuff and posting it and uh, we got a mission impossible uh fallout review already up so you can go check that out um, so that's where i'm at very cool very cool yeah i'm uh we, we all love pressing we all love fresh fiction in the denton record chronicle uh and i'm brian kluger so stay tuned till next week for our 13th episode it'll be a doozy um but yes we love you all please subscribe and we'll see you next week